0: I'm delighted to be here before all of you on this first night of Eastern Camp, and it's wonderful that the audio is working. (laughs) Before we look into God's Word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, where else can we go but unto Thee? There is no fixed point of reference in our world. Truths that have been held for millennia, perhaps since the dawn of time, now are being overturned. Everything, it seems, is relative. But Heavenly Father, if we are to understand anything rightly, we must come to Thee. The one fixed point of reference, the I Am that I am be with us now heavenly father as we would look together into thy word and may thy good and holy spirit be present among us to speak and minister to the hearts of those that are gathered here amen I would like to begin by reading a few verses from our theme text though I don't intend to meditate on them I'll leave that to another brother starting at the third verse of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. It would seem from this short selection from this chapter that committing our ways to God takes on sort of a transactional feel. If you do this, God will do this. They seem to be very sunny verses. But if we consider the words of David and his other psalms that he wrote, you'll see that the way was not always so smooth, though he had committed his way unto the Lord. Tonight I'd like, with the Lord's help, To speak to those that maybe are struggling a little bit with this commitment. That are being sifted or rocked by the storms of life. So if you'll turn with me, I'd like to turn to the New Testament. I'd like to read a short selection of verses piecemeal from Mark's gospel. Or the gospel according to Mark. The fourth chapter. I'd like to begin reading partway through the 34th verse verse of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. And when they, that is the disciples, were alone, he, that is Jesus, expounded all things to his disciples. These disciples were no ordinary men. They had been specially selected by the Lord. They had fully committed their lives to him, leaving behind boats and nets, family, even a wife, to follow the master, totally committed their ways to the Lord. And they enjoyed sweet communion with him. Christ had spent the day teaching and preaching, explaining to the many that came to hear him by way of parables the nature of the kingdom of God. And then in this private master class, as it were, their rabbis sat down and explained these parables further unto them. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. This is a pattern of God. You will see it through the Old Testament right into the New. God calls us in his perfect will from our current Comfortable, stable shore to the far shore across the sea. Those of you that are here that are outside of Christ, that have not yet fully committed to follow the Master, He calls you also from the seemingly stable shore of your own will and self direction to follow Him into uncertainty, to commit yourselves to His plans, to His way, to align yourself with His vision for you. You can't straddle the two shores. There is no way to experiment with faith. It is a committal. For those of you that have spent some time in small boats or a canoe, you know what it's like to push out from the shore, to leave the stability of terra firma and to go into that rocking canoe. And if you've experienced a storm on open water in a small boat like that, you know how unsettling it is. But you'll never experience that far shore without first committing to the uncertainty of following His will. But the disciples had committed. They were willing. They were ready to pass over. And it says, and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, that's Christ, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. For those of us that have committed to follow Christ, these are the sunny times. In the calm of the evening, the disciples felt competent, sure of themselves, they were in their element. The Lord had, they had committed to the Lord. The Lord had revealed his will to them. Let's go over to the other shore. He had, they had a command from the Lord. And so I can just picture in my mind's eye, those disciples getting into that small boat, grabbing those familiar oars and setting the sail, testing the wind and starting out and probably turning around to the Lord and saying to him, Master, you've had a full day. Rest at the back of the ship. We have this. Perhaps as their master drifted off to sleep, they talked about the events of the day, pulling on the oars, and they weren't alone. It says there were other ships with them. They were in good company. Perhaps other disciples also saw the master was heading out across the water and thought, let's follow. We'll all go together. Maybe kind of like this camp meeting where we feel the the encouragement of so many like-minded people. And there arose a great storm of wind. Things took a decidedly nasty turn. We don't hear about those other ships. Perhaps they saw those dark clouds coming. But the disciples knew. The Lord had called them. He had said, we're going to the far shore. They were in his will. They had committed everything to him. What's a little bit of bad weather? The storm came. Unexpected at their most vulnerable, alone in the middle of that lake. Why? It's not like they had set out on some foolish quest. They were following God's will. They had committed their ways unto the Lord. Why the storm? We don't always know. But remember this even though they had Christ himself with them in the boat, that didn't keep the storm away. The storm still came. I don't know what sorts of storms people are facing here. We have a record number at camp. But I am sure, in fact I know from talking to some of you, that some of you are facing great storms. It seems, maybe that leaving that familiar shore was a mistake, that this wasn't something that you bargained for, that you never saw coming, and yet the Lord allowed it. And the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow on the edge of perishing, and their master was asleep. Unresponsive. How many times do you think those disciples, between waves, look back over their shoulder to see if their master was still asleep? The first time, perhaps surprised. The second or third time amazed. How can he sleep through this? Perhaps some anger growing. How can this be happening to us? We committed our ways unto the Lord. The teacher is always silent during the test. We don't always see what our Lord's purpose is until afterwards. You only have to read from pages of Scripture right up to the saints of the present day to see that many have walked this way before. Think of Moses, called to deliver his people. And right when he thinks he's doing the Lord's will, saving one of his brethren from the Egyptian... He has to flee for his life and spends the next 40 years on the backside of the desert caring for sheep. Think about Joseph. Sold by his own brothers into slavery. Finds himself in Potiphar's house. Things seem to be improving for a while there. He's placed in a position of authority. But then he had committed himself again to follow, to follow God's will. And yet in following God's will he finds himself in a dungeon through no fault of his own. And even after, he revealed to the butler what the dream would mean. The butler forgot about him for another year. Can you imagine what it must have been like for him to think back? Why did I have to even mention those dreams to my brothers? Why couldn't I see that they were getting angry with me? What did I do wrong in Potiphar's house to deserve this? And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Think about those words for a moment. Don't you care? Why do you think our Lord came in the first place? Because we were perishing without hope. In a worse state than in a boat in a lake. In danger, not of a lake of water, but a lake of fire. Oh, He's concerned. He's concerned that we're going to perish. It's not for a lack of care that he remains silent. The storm was not for the Lord's benefit. He slept through most of it. It's for ours. And that's the hard part, isn't it? We think we know the Lord. We think we know his will. We think we're in the center of his will and we're doing it to the best of our ability. But in the storm, in the storm, God can teach us two things that he can teach us in no other way. And those two things are this. One, our strength is insufficient. When Christ gave that command, let's go over to the other side. I'm sure the, uh, the disciples that had been fishermen kind of looked at each other, maybe punched each other in the arm, do some sailing tonight. Let's go. We got this. This is in our wheelhouse. We know what to do. Master, relax. We've got this. It's exactly that sin of self-confidence that the storm drives out of us. Now, if that was the only lesson, it would be pretty demoralizing, wouldn't it? But the second part of the lesson is this. Only Christ can save us. The storm puts us in a position where nothing else can help christ alone christ alone my friend outside of christ you also need to go through this storm you need to experience this storm in its fullness to feel what it's like to be going down wondering if if this next wave is going to be the one that finally pushes you under until you can cry those words from scripture O wretched man that I am, who shall save me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And he arose. There are no more majestic words, I think, in all of Scripture than those three short words. And he arose. When Christ rises, everything else falls. He arose. I would have liked to have seen that. In the middle of a pitching sea, a boat half-submerged in water, terrified fishermen around him. I can't even imagine what it must have been like for those who were not fishermen. But he stands up, and when he stands up, all nature must bow before him. You realize that the storm didn't wake Christ? He slept through it. But when his disciples cried to him, he woke immediately. Immediately. Christ always, well, I heard it said this way once. God doesn't answer prayer. He answers desperate prayer. A desperate prayer will always have a hearing with God. When we finally reach the end of our hoarded resources, the Father hears. Whether it was that blind man on the road who cried, David, that... Or, Thou Son of David, have mercy on me. Or whether, if you remember another storm, a more terrible one, when Christ hung between heaven and earth in a maelstrom of pain that we can't even imagine. Yet the broken and parched cry came from one of the crosses next to him that said, Lord, remember me when you come into my kingdom. And the Lord heard immediately. He said to him today, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. When we reach our extremity, Christ no longer has to wait. He answers. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I remember what that was like for me when the master said, Peace, be still to my life there was a there was almost an unreality about it i'd heard about peace what it feels like how it comes to different people and for me it was just like this great silence it's like when a great noise stops and your ears still are ringing with it but there's no more sound that quietness christ said to his disciples my peace i give unto you how else could he have slept through a storm he was at peace and when the time was right Christ's peace flowed out and the disciples saw it. They had peace too. You see the safest place for the disciples in all the earth that night was in that boat. We sing it in the gospel hymns. No water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. That tossing half-submerged boat was safer to them than the seemingly solid shore they had left behind. They just didn't realize it. That might sound cute to some of you that are in the storm. That might sound like a, a platitude, something that you say to make people feel better. Yet it's true. Others have seen it. They cried, Master, carest thou not that we perish? They had enough faith To turn to Christ, realizing that he was the only one that could do something, but they didn't rest in him. And isn't that sometimes how our own faith is? I'm embarrassed to say that going through difficult things in life, and I've been through some a little bit more recently, how quickly my faith crumbles. I know to turn to Christ, but do I believe he can help? Do I believe that he can really still the storm? I'm embarrassed to say sometimes I bring accusations to him and don't rest in him. Faith is a moral choice. I know it's a gift. And how faith works is a mystery to me. But it is also a moral choice. Do you realize there was only one thing that our Lord marveled at when he was here? It was this, the presence or the absence of faith. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Isn't our Lord merciful, gracious even? He didn't tell them off in the middle of the storm. He didn't turn to them in the middle of the waves and say, Hey, come on. What's wrong with you guys? Didn't you just see what I did over there? He gently waited till the end of the lesson and then gave them their mark and then had patience with them to try again. The Lord is the same way with us. It says the smoking flax he won't quench and the bruised reed he won't break. God will never find fault with you for being real with him. He will teach you and teach you again and lead you and lead you from faith to faith as you continue to commit your way to him. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They could hardly believe what they had seen. And that, my friend, outside of Christ, is the way faith is. You see, where there is no capacity for doubt, there can be no faith. And so Christ will never fully remove from you the capacity for doubt. It pleases him when you respond in faith. He made you responsible, able to respond. And he expects that response to be in faith. But he will never remove from you the capacity for doubt. You know, when when we are in our extremity, when things are really bad and we pray, God, can't you just make it clear? Can't you just do something? Show up. If God did show up, there would be no space for faith. We would see, and as you can read in Revelation, the sight would be terrible. Those who had not responded in faith before now cry out to the rocks and say, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. And so God mercifully hides his face and gives us the opportunity to exercise faith. And that's not an easy thing. But it pleases Him. It pleases Him. The storms of life will come for those that commit their way to the Lord and for those that don't. You see, our will functions inside of time. We make decisions. An opportunity is presented to us. We look at the options. We decide and we move forward. And we can't go back. We can't undecide. So for us, our will has this element of time. And we can use that time to either glorify God by committing ourselves to His ways or not. I think the most terrible words in all of Scripture Christ gave to the Pharisees. He talked about that time when they would be done with time. He said to them, ye shall seek me And ye shall not find me, and ye shall die in your sins. There will be a time on the other side of death when all of us will realize we needed a Savior, whether you realized it during your lifetime or not. But for some it will be too late. Now, now is the acceptable time. You have a week, if the Lord tarries, ahead of you to commit your ways unto the Lord. I've talked to many recently that have been through some of these storms, that have suffered through them, but have also testified how the Lord was faithful also to them at the right moment, saying, Peace, be still, and providing in wonderful ways. Often my faith says, Yes, He can do it for them, but can He do it for me? And God says, Well, are you going to choose? Are you going to choose to believe? Do you believe that I can do this for you? And I have to say, with that father of the demoniac son, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the Lord never reprimanded that man for his lack of faith. Because even a little bit of faith is enough with God. Have you ever considered the unique position of man? We are told in Scripture that we are made in the image of God. It doesn't say that about any other creation that God made. Not angels, not seraphim, not cherubim, not the animals. Made in the image of God. What do you think that means? One part of it, I think, is this. God is the ultimate autonomous being. There is no one, Scripture tells us, that can stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? He is the ultimate will and in his sovereign will he made man and said you will have a will like mine but in a limited way in a small way and I will honor that will you see when we say yes to God that yes is never fully ours because he already has been working we know that faith is a gift and in his Unseen ways. He is already working to win us. One of my favorite authors said, Salvation is from our side a choice, but from God's side it is a divine conquest. I like those words. The yes is never fully ours, because he, while we were yet his enemies, was seeking to win us. But you know what? The no you own completely. It's not God's will that you perish. When you say no to God... He will honor that no, but you own it. And that fact will make hell unbearable. Because I'm sure halfway through that storm, in the middle of that lake, tossing on that boat, those disciples probably wished for that shore that they had left behind when they thought back, why did we leave that shore? Why did we venture out? Why didn't we turn back? And that thought of that no... And the fact that you cannot turn back will make hell hell for an eternity. But the good news is now, now is the day of grace. Commit your way to the Lord. He's willing. He's ready to teach you. It may not be smooth sailing. I know some that have been through incredible trials in their young lives. Great storms. Things that I will perhaps never face or even understand. Yet God tailors tailors the storm to each one of us. He knows what we can handle. He never places upon us more than we're able to bear. So if this prospect of committing your will to the Lord seems scary, I mean, who would welcome a storm? Remember this. The storm is held in the hand of the one that loved you so much that he sent his son so you wouldn't perish. Do you think he's going to let you go? He that spared not his son, shall he not freely give you all things? And one day, you'll be able to look back and say with the words of the Zion's harp writer, Blessed hast thou planned my way. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said, and may he give us the strength each of us in our own way. And for those of you, my brothers and sisters, that are going through perhaps great storms right now, I am praying for you. Others are praying for you. We don't always see the hand of the Master in the middle of the storm, but he won't let us perish. Amen.